Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church. We're on Pergamum Part 3. We're going boom, 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 right in order here. Pergamum Part 3, the title is Pergamum, a spoiled church. A spoiled church, Revelation 2, 12 to 17. And once again, Jesus is writing to seven actual churches, but they apply to every church in every age. And Pergamum, it looked good. Uh, we looked at the good. We looked at the good. We looked at the bad. We looked at the warning. We looked at the encouragement. Today, we're going to look at the prophetic historical phase. Each of these seven churches represent a different phase of church history. They're prophetically used that way. Ephesus, remember, was the apostolic church uh, up to 100 AD. Smyrna was the persecuted church 100 to 300 AD. And today we're at Pergamum. Pergamum, the indulged or spoiled church, 300 to 600 AD. And this explains a lot because it explains how we got so messed up today. You're gonna, you're gonna be able to connect a lot of dots here. If you look at the outline right here, you see the different, three different, uh, phases and the outline. And you can see for the third one, you can see that for the third one, this is Pergamum, the, the indulged or spoiled church, 300 to 680 approximately. Okay, so. Uh, church history, church history 101. I'm going to give you a little bit of church history for 300 years. The first 300 years of the church after Jesus Christ's resurrection, uh, ascension, Satan persecuted the church. In those first 300 years, there were 6 million martyrs, which was a lot considering the population at that time. That was a lot. And the result of the, of, of the martyrdom was that the church was on fire. Not only were the believers burned, but the church caught fire. It was on fire. It was pure. There were no TV preachers. <clears throat> uh, there, there, the evangelism was explosive. Because of the persecution, it was explosive. The majority of some Roman provinces were Christian. This was, out of the entire population of the earth, this was the highest percentage of Christians in history was at this time, this up to 300, a, uh, 300 to 600, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 300 AD. We're going to 300 to 600 is what we're going to look at next. But up to 300 AD, it was the highest percentage of Christians uh, uh, in regard to the population. The church was on fire. And Satan figured out, this isn't working. 300 years, this isn't working. So he came up with a new strategy, which is going to shock a lot of people who are listening to this. Jesus condemns Pergamum. He condemns this historical phase because they have followers of Balaam. Followers of Balaam. Remember last time we looked at the Balaam. And, and the curse failed. Balaam's curse failed. So he seduced the Israelites into mixed marriages. And Satan does the same thing. If you can't beat them, join them. He couldn't stop through persecution. So he tries to seduce the church into a mixed marriage marriage. In Pergamum, the word Pergamum means elevated. Elevated, but there's a dual meaning. It also means, the Greek word gamas means marriage also. Marriage. So, elevated marriage. And we'll see how the true holy church married the world in this phase. 300 to 600 AD, the church married the world with a devastating effect that continues today. Let's pray. Father, I know this is going to be hard for some of us to hear and to grasp and to accept. But Lord, this is, this is church history and this is your word. And Lord, I just pray that every one of us would be purified because of this. And I pray that anybody who's hearing this that has 
has never put their faith in Jesus. Maybe they, they are following the Christian religion, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. I pray that they would break free, that their minds and hearts would be set free, and they would know true salvation in Jesus Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's read the passage again. Revelation 2. Revelation 2, okay. And remember, as we read this, we keep these two key words in mind. Balaam and the Nicolaitans. Balaam and the Nicolaitans. But let's read the passage. Revelation 2. If I can just get there. Verse 12. To the church of the, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who has put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Woo, here we go now. I know this will upset some of you out here, what we're going to be looking at here. Remember Balaam and the Nicolaitans? It will especially upset some of my Roman Catholic listeners and friends. I want to encourage you, listen to the end. Listen to the end. This is all church history. not making this up. And the issue isn't Catholic. The issue isn't being Catholic, which, hang on, I'm going to explain this later on. It's the Roman part of it, not the Catholic part. It's the Roman part that we're going to be dealing with here in this church history. And I hope that we will all unify, all unify as true Catholics, as true Catholics under the headship of Jesus Christ, not under a pope or something, but under the headship of Jesus Christ and under the power of his word. We should all be unified that way. All right, and I know many, and I know many Roman Catholic believers that are true Christians. Many, many. Uh, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're a true believer, this won't be hard to accept. This won't be hard to hear and to really understand what I'm talking about. So, first of all, history. Constantine. Constantine. There is civil war in Rome over who will be the emperor. Most of you know this history. Constantine, who is mildly interested in Christianity, has a vision. Just before the big battle with the opposing general, he wants to rule Rome. And he has a vision just before the battle breaks out. He sees a fiery cross in the sky and hears a voice, In this sign, conquer. In this sign, conquer. He has his soldiers put the picture of the cross that he saw. He, he, he has them put that on their shields in order to fight the battle. This cross, though, if you've ever seen it, doesn't look like the, the cross Jesus died on. It looks like it resembled the pagan cross of that time. That's what it looked like. And so he goes and he wins this battle. And after the battle, he legalizes Christianity. He gives them a protected status. And he says, I've become a Christian too, but a very nominal Christian at best. Uh, he becomes a Christian emperor. The, he gives an edict of toleration, which, <clears throat> gives, uh, which means churches must be tolerated, no more persecution. He gives the church, church's government money. 
government money and he transfers some pagan temples and he makes them into churches. He still allows pagan worship, but the people realize very quickly that if they want to be in the in crowd in Rome now, they'd better become a Christian. And so a lot of them become Christians uh, somehow, some kind of Christian. He actually has his legions march through the, through through a river. And as they march through a river, the bishop on the other side blesses their baptism. They've been baptized now just from marching through that river. No conversion, just marching through that river. You can see what this where this is going. It sounds great, right? Until you take a closer look at his life, it's very doubtful if he ever truly converted. There's really no fruit to say, yeah, you know, thus by their fruit you will know them. And if you look at the results, you have to wonder if this vision wasn't from God. This was very possibly from Satan. This the use the, the conquer, conquer in my name. It was used to conquer an army, but it ended up conquering the church. Wait till you see what I'm talking about. <clears throat> it ends up conquering the church. The Nicolaitans, which are here in Pergamum, and this is the historical phase this represents, it's from the word Nike. You ever hear Nike? <laughs> How can we not hear that in the USA? It means victory. It means victory. But this is really ended up being a victory over God's people. Persecution couldn't do it. But this conquered the church, as we will see. Constantine calls for the Roman Empire, all the, the bishops of the Roman Empire, calls them all together. And there's many, many all over, the, all over Rome. They represent the Roman Empire. They, they represent different areas, bishops. And he randomly picks the bishop of Haifa. The bishop of Haifa, his name is Damasus. And he says, uh, Damasus, you're going to be the head, head bishop now, Damasus. Uh, he picks him. Damasus is a borderline false teacher. <laughs> Very shaky guy. He's known to have mixed Christianity with a Babylonian religion. He's been, he's suspect as a, a false teacher. This is significant because the Babylonian, Babylon is the birthplace of idolatry. Babylon is the birthplace of idolatry. Nimrod and his mother started it all. You look in the book of uh, Genesis, you can see where Nimrod was. And, and we'll also see Babylon referred to in Revelation. And we also already saw in Daniel, the, the great, it's the, Babylon is the great world religious system versus God and the true relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's, it's the world's religious system versus God. It's idolatry versus faith. That's what it is. And Constantine just happens to choose this guy, Damasus. And, and, and you know what he, he calls him? He calls him Supreme Pontiff. He calls him the Supreme Pontiff, was a, which was a pagan title. It's nowhere in God's Word. It was a pagan title. And he just transferred that pagan title onto the head bishop that he picked. And he says he is now the first pope. It's not Peter. Peter was not the first pope. There were no popes in between. Some church historians have tried to force people into the mold, but there were no popes until this guy. It was not Peter also. He was not the first. This is the first pope. And then he renames the church. Up till now, it's been known as the Catholic Church. The universal church, which was awesome. The pure church. But, but he 
and it was made up of many different groups under the headship of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the head of this church, and God's word is what told people how we must live. The local bishops from all over the Roman Empire, all over the world, all over the world, they would come together in councils, and they would take God's word, and that's how the church was run. But but Constantine renamed it the Roman Catholic Church. How do you call it the Roman Catholic Church? That's like playing the World Series in the United States. It's not the World Series. Rome, it's the Italian Catholic, you know, I mean, the Italian Catholic Church. It it can't be universal if it's Roman, right? It's an oxymoron now. But that's what he did. He, He basically took it over and he renames it the Roman Catholic Church with the emperor's handpicked leader. And over time, that pope, his power evolved, evolved, until finally, later on, when the real emperor disappeared, the Pope was, was now like an emperor with the same procession that the, the secular emperor used to have. That's what happened. That's where the, this whole thing came from, the emperor, because when the emperor, Rome was overthrown, the Pope took on all the garb and all the procession and a lot of the power. The Eastern Church says, no way! Uh-uh! We're not going along with this, Constantine. No way! And they... They say, we're not going to join this. And they say, they, they formed the, their own, which was known as the Orthodox Church. This was the Great Schism. Split Christianity uh, in half. The Great Schism. And there was a, <clears throat> because of this schism, there was lots of interesting things that happened. There was the battle for the bones. The two groups were fighting over the, the bones of the saints, which is ridiculous anyhow. All right? uh, they, they fought over the bones of the apostles. Ours heals. Yours doesn't heal. They, they, they had idolatry, these relics, and it became a form of idolatry. Both sides had this form of idolatry. Rome had James' uh, body, but the east had the head. And recently they gave the head as a goodwill gift to to Rome uh, to, to you know show their goodwill. Uh, so thankfully James is reunited, but who knows whose bones it really is, right? Uh, the, now there's some positives here, though, that even God still maintains some positives in spite of this apostasy. He says, "Yet you remain true to my name." During this phase, the church remained doctrinally pure. The core doctrines still. Were, were, were pure. The problem was that they took on a lot of the pagan ceremonies. When they did the Babylonian thing, then combined them in Damascus, they, they took on a lot of the pagan ceremonies and practices, which later on became perverted doctrines later. It didn't happen right away. It happened later on. If you read our doctrinal statement from our church, New Hope Community Church, Evangelical Church, to uh, my Roman Catholic friends, they agree with it all. We, we have the same, really the same doctrinal belief. They'll agree with everything versus if I were to read it to a Mormon, one of the cults, like a Mormon or Jehovah Witness, then no, there's a lot of disagreement. But Roman Catholics, uh, evangelicals, pretty much the same doctrine. It's just that the Roman Catholic doctrine now has been buried, have, they buried the truth under a lot of other junk. A lot of, where did all this other stuff come from that has buried the gospel, that has buried the the important doctrines? It came because in time, over time, tradition became to be recognized. You can read the, the Roman Catholic Catechism. I've read it many times. Tradition is just as important as God's word. The Pope's words are just as important as God's word, which is 
not good. Uh, but, but the gospel became buried under all these traditions. And that's a shame because Deuteronomy 4.2 says this. It says, Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Old Testament, New Testament, Revelation. <clears throat> In Revelation 22.18 and 19 it says, right here, I warn every... Last, last words of the Bible... Last words. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Don't add and don't subtract. But that's what tradition, it's saying tradition is on the same level as the Bible, is adding and that's what has happened. God's word has been buried of an, under an avalanche of tradition and papal decrees, papal decrees, and, and it's, 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 it's horrible. But, but, at the beginning here, the doctrine remained pure. In fact, 325, the Council of Nicaea, there was a guy named Arius, and Arius denied the deity of Jesus Christ, and he was making a, a big splash in the, uh, in, in the church circles. He denied the deity of Jesus Christ. He said Jesus was just the top created being. What does that sound like? Job a witness, nothing new, that, you know, this new teaching, old lie, nothing new. And so Constantine calls a council to work this out. He gets all the bishops together to work this out. This was not to decide on the deity of Jesus Christ. A lot of people say, well, Jesus didn't, what didn't become deity until 325, the Council of Nicaea. That is not true. Uh, it was already established, his deity was already established by the Word. The Holy Spirit confirmed it. This council was called to deal with Arius and his false teaching. Alright? But, Arius was a powerful teacher. I'm gonna read this out of LaHaye, uh, one of LaHaye's books. Uh, church history. Uh, actually, he's quoting Dr. Ironside. Uh, but anyway, at one point, the brilliant Arius seemed to almost have stopped all opposition. He was kind of, you know, he, people couldn't argue. He was a brilliant man, even though he was going against God's word. He was brilliant. When a, and it looked like he was going to maybe win this council, but when a hermit from the deserts of Africa sprang to his feet, clad chiefly in tiger skin, this ladder he tore from his back, disclosing great scar, took the tiger skin off, dis d displaying great scars, the result of having been thrown into the arena among the wild beasts. With his back dreadfully disfigured by animal claws exposed to their view, he dramatically cried, These are the brand marks of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I cannot hear this blasphemy. Then he proceeded to give so stirring an address, setting forth clearly the truth as to Christ's eternal deity, that the majority of the council realized in a moment that it was indeed the voice of the Holy Spirit. The final outcome of the council of Nicaea was then was that Jesus Christ was declared to be very God of very God, perfection of perfection, and God and man and God and man in one person. Because this church held fast to Christ's name, the organized church did not teach anything but the personal deity of Jesus Christ for over a thousand years. Amazing how the Holy Spirit works. It, it stayed pure here. It was awesome. So, we have this, but the negative, he says, you, um, 
the, the negatives here are, the, are this, though. He says, you live where Satan has his throne. This is prophetic. This is prophetic where Satan has his throne. That throne started out in Babylon. It ends up in Pergamum, but then historically, it moved to Rome. Wait till, you read, wait till we get to the end of the book of Revelation. We see it moved to Rome. But we see in Revelation that the revived Roman Empire and the apostate church are going to work together. That's where Satan is going to have his throne once again in Rome. That's where it's been. That's where it's going to be. And, and the, the, the persecution stopped. The persecution stopped. Here's the negatives. The persecution stopped. In history, at this time, but so did the evangelism. So did the witnessing. And we'll see ultimately that the Roman Catholic Church and the apostate popes later on in the Middle Ages become the main persecutor of true Christians. True Christians. They started persecuting the, the Catholic Christians that read their Bible were burned at the stake. The, the Catholics that stayed true to the Word of God were persecuted. And later on, the Protestants who didn't want to leave the Catholic Church, they were kicked out. The Protestants, the protesters, were also persecuted because they put God's Word at the top over tradition and over the Pope's words. God's words, the words of Jesus himself, they put them on top. Now, we another negative is that not just the persecution stopped and what happened because of that, but the Nicolaitans, the Nicolaitans, they, uh, the Nicolaitans adopted the Babylonian system. We know that from history. They adopted the Babylonian system and so did the church at this time. They adopted many things from the Babylonian religious system. It was a poison that spread throughout the church. The priest began ruling the people. Instead of, uh, the, the priest began controlling through confession, controlling the people and ruling the people spiritually. Instead of people going right to God, now they could only reach God through a priest. They had to go through a priest. And that is not what the Bible teaches. Oh no, not in the New Testament. If you have kids, if you have kids, do you want them to have to go through someone else to get to you? Or do you want them to come right to you. And that's why God has set up His relationship with us as children of God. That's why many of my friends who grew up as Roman Catholics, they have no concept of a relationship with God. It's just a religion to them. And once they realize it's a relationship, it opens their eyes and it's a whole new thing. Not all Roman Catholics, but many, unfortunately, that's been their experience. So we have the Nicolaitans. We also have the Balaam. The Balaam poison also spread throughout. What Balaam did he mixed the you know he, he mixed the the Israel worship with the Baal worship he mixed them together and that's what happened here during this time there was a mix of paganism with Christianity once again the the key doctrines stayed there but they brought in a lot of tradi- new traditions and practices and pagan uh, practices that in time became false doctrines all right and the pagan priests just changed sides. They changed sides. They went from being a Babylonian priest or a Roman priest, but they just switched to Christianity, but they, 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 they uh, didn't change their hats. They didn't change their hats. People still kept the immoral festivals of that time. The, the Babylonian mystery religion, we see it, uh, the Babylonian mystery religion, even today with the rosary beads and the celibacy of the priests 
and nuns, which is not in the Bible, but that's what the temple virgins at that time had to, to, to be. And I'm just going to read you once again, Lahey has a, a partial list on some of the things that evolved at this time, during this time, that created so many problems for us even now today. Here's just a few things that evolved, a few of the pagan practices that evolved and crept into the church. In AD 300, they began prayers for the dead. In AD 300, also, they began making the sign of the cross. There was no, none of this happened before that. 375 AD, worship of saints and angels. 394, the Mass was first instituted. 400 years after Jesus, the Mass was instituted. Not, not, not the communion. Communion is from the start, but the idea of the Mass and all that it entails. 480. Three, uh, 431, worship of Mary begins. The Mariology begins. 500 AD, priests began dress, dressing differently than the lay people. 526, extreme unction. None of this was here before that. This is, this is clearly when it happened. 593, the doctrine of purgatory is introduced. Not in the Word of God anywhere. It's completely against the Word of God, the, the doctrine of purgatory. 600 AD, worship services were, began to be conducted in Latin so the people couldn't understand what was going on. 600 AD, also they started to pray to Mary. Prayers to Mary. Uh, and, there's, and that's just a partial list. Wait till we get into later on the things that, that came through. But this was how Balaam and the paganism became mixed in. And because of all these things, the second coming was no longer stressed. Before this, it was all about Jesus' second coming. After this, no more talking about the second coming because persecution... All that we went through for 300 years must have been the Great Tribulation. But that's past. We're in the millennium now. Now we're in the millennium. And there's no more persecution. The world is getting better. Jesus will come at the end of this. This is what gave birth to the whole post-millennial view, which which took a big hit in World War One, and then World War Two wiped it out. There's no, been no more talk about post-millennialism after World War Two. Uh, but now, the, now, because of this whole movement here, the church is the new Israel. The church is the new Israel. That's why the Roman Catholic Church historically has not been friendly to Jews, even persecuted the Jews. Uh, read some of the stories of, of the uh, Crusades, and, and not just the, the, the Protestants did it too. You're, I'm sad, sad, sad what Martin Luther, uh, how he treated the Jews. It's because the, the, the church is the new Israel. And it's been replaced. And it's not until 1,400 years after this, 1,400 years later, that the second coming is once again emphasized and it's accompanied by evangelism, worldwide evangelism, and the mission movement. It's not until that happens that, that it took 1,400 years to break free of this, these, these deceptions, right? This is tough to teach. This is tough to teach because I have many great Roman Catholic friends and some are very solid Christians. In fact, about we know statistically about 30% of, of all Roman Catholics are born again. You must, Jesus said you must be born again. They are saved by, they believe they're, going, they're right with God because of their faith in Jesus. Not by works, not from jumping through religious rituals. No, no, no. It's by putting their faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. 30% of, 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 of uh Roman Catholics are born again. Thankfully, 100% are Protestants. No, that's not true. Only 50% are Protestants. 
uh, are born again, that they are also depending. Because the, many of the, the Lutherans and the people that were in the Reformers, they've gotten, they've gone far beyond the Roman Catholic Church and, and apostasy. Oh no, I, I have a lot more in common with, uh, with my Roman Catholic friends than I do with my Lutheran friends. Let me tell you something, although there are some solid denominations, Missouri Synod, Lutherans, but, but the vast majority are apostate, Episcopals, vast majority are apostate, maybe 10% aren't, thank God there's still a remnant in the Episcopal Church, but my, my point is, Protestants is only 50%, this is what I ask everybody, Roman Catholic, Protestant, nothing, I ask them the same question, I ask one big question, and I'm going to ask this, if you were to die and stand before God right now, and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? What would you say? You know what I hear so often? I've been good. I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. I go to church. I've been baptized. You know, lots of things. But all those are... The big question, the only answer that shows someone has truly been born again is because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. If you were, if I asked that question, you answered, thought any other answer, then I put my faith in Jesus Christ. His death, His resurrection. I'm trusting in Jesus. That is the one and only way to get right with God. It's the only way to get into heaven. But, uh, but, so, but out of all, Roman Catholics, about 30% will answer that way. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. But still many who do put their faith in Christ don't grow. They have a stunted growth because they don't hear the Word of God preached on a continuous basis. And they, and they also, a lot of my Roman Catholic friends, they get bound up in these anti-biblical traditions like praying to Mary. They're born again, but they still pray to Mary. I'm like, Where, what, what is that? You've got to know the Word. They still follow the Pope's teachings, even when they have an apostate Pope like the one right now. Most of my Catholic, serious Catholic friends know this Pope is apostate. He's horrible. Like today, right? But, but, a lot, but a lot of them still follow the Pope's teaching even when it goes against God's Word. What can we do? I tell my Roman Catholic friends, study the Word. Be in the Word. Study the Word. I encourage them to know the Word and study the Word. We, the, you have to see the difference between the Word and the traditions. You, you, you have to let go of the saints and the idols and, and praying to Mary, you know, and talking Talking to you, praying to the saints or praying to Mary. No, 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 no. First Timothy two five. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Guess who? The man Jesus Christ. There's one God and one mediator between, and it's only Jesus. It's not Mary. It's not the saints. There's just one way. We have to break free of that junk. We have to. I'm gonna, I encourage my Catholic friends to find a good Bible preaching church. If they want to still stay in the Catholic Church, that's good. I have Catholic friends. They go to their mass on Saturday and Sunday morning. They go to a, a good Bible preaching church. They stay in in the in the Catholic Church and they still witness and they they see it as a mission field. But I say you still have to get fed. You still better be in a good Bible study or go on Sunday morning somewhere or listen somewhere you have to get you have to hear good strong bible preaching you have to have that fellowship and support very very important and i'm, I'm god bless the catholics that stay in the catholic church and they and they start bible studies and and or they're part of a, 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 a the, the charismatic movement in the catholic church amy barrett you know she's born again catholic in a, in a strong part of the catholic church it's awesome but but it, it's so important that you, you, we, we still get that growing. And, and I would say, if you are a Roman Catholic and you listen to this, make, are you born again? 
Are you depending on the catechism or the Word of God? If you study the Word of God, you're going to see the contradictions between the catechism and the Word of God because the Word of God has been buried under tradition and buried under, under tradition. I'll just leave it there. And, and, it, it's, and the, one of the key parts of it all is work salvation. So many Catholics think that by following works, by being good enough, by following the rules, by following the rituals, by, by going, jumping through these religious hoops, that they're going uh, to get right with God in some way. But it's very important. Uh-uh. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. We're saved by putting our faith in God's grace. That's what we are saved by. Have you been saved by faith? By faith. The Bible doesn't teach works. Are works important? Sure. Verse 10, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it is by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Yeah, works are important, but they don't save us. They follow true faith. They show that our faith is real. Yeah, we better be good works. But that doesn't save us. But it does confirm that our faith is real, that we've truly been saved by faith. But, but the Bible teaches that we're saved by faith. You either pay for your own sins or you let Jesus pay for your sins. What have you done? Have you put your faith in Him? And as Christians, those who have definitely put our faith in Christ, is there good works? Is there fruit? Is there proof? Is there proof in our life that we're really living for Jesus? Let's pray. Do you know for sure that you have been saved by faith? Maybe you've been convicted by this and you realize that you've been trying to depend on works. You've been depending on the, you know, following religious rituals. You've been depending on you know, something else besides strictly faith in what Jesus has done for you, dying on that cross, rising from the dead. Have you ever put your faith in what he has done for forgiveness? You can do that right now. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. And that grace is the gift from Jesus that he died on the cross for us, for our sin, and he rose from the dead to give us a brand new life. You can have that now by putting your faith in him. The prayer of faith, God, I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me for my sin. I turn away from my sin. I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus, the Son of God, what He did for me on that cross, dying for me, what He did rising from the dead to prove that He could give me a brand new life. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to Him. Faith alone in Christ alone. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, something amazing has happened. You have now just become a child of God. You have been, the Bible calls it, saved. You have been saved from your sin and from judgment and from hell. You have been given a brand new life. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You have been given a brand new life in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you have a Christian family member or a friend or or you are somebody at work, or you know of a good Bible study locally, or a good church, let somebody know so they can be excited for you and help you grow. Because they got to get into the Word. It's all about being in the Word and let the Holy Spirit work through His Word. 
And if you need someone else to tell you you can't find anybody, email me, nhcc at comcast.net. And I'll be excited and I'll help you get connected. I'll help find someone wherever you live. You can live in Alaska. I'll find you a good church. I'll find you a Bible study. I'll find you something. Um, <clears throat> for those who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Have we been, have we been deceived in some way? Have we, is there fruit in our life? Is there a change in our life? It's not just believing in our head, but there has to be a real faith results in a, a radically transformed life. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What is God's calling on our life? What is his purpose for our life? Are we living out those good works to glorify God and to draw people to Jesus Christ? Do they, is there a difference in our life, a radical difference in our life? If there's not, you better pray that prayer of salvation again and mean it this time. Because if we do mean it and we do pray that prayer of salvation, there will be a radical transformation. Father, I pray for every one of us that we would know for sure that we have salvation and we would be, see the fruit of it in our life, the, the proof of it in our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're done with Pergamum. Uh, done with Pergamum. And uh, next time we will be on Thyatira. Ooh, another good one. See you next time.